Well, if you haven't been here today, uh, we're, we're in uh, part five of a series called It's My Life, and I'll get to the sermon part in a second, but I want to do just kind of a, a pre-sermon part to kind of set the stage for just a few minutes, and I just want to start off with a simple question, and here's the question. What kind of person do you want to be? Like, really? Meaning, when your friends talk about you behind your back, and they do, by the way, uh, when you're, you know, you go see family for the holidays, and you're driving off, and they're out there waving and everything, and they're going to shut the door, and they're going to say words, they're going to talk about you after you go, and you know this, right? Uh, when they do, what do you want them to say about you after spending time with you? Uh, like me, you have little control over what happens in your life, uh, what happens to you in your life, but you and I do have control over how you respond to what happens to you and how you choose to respond to that, how you choose to treat others, how you choose to uh, respond to others, and, 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 and whatever the circumstances might be in your life, and that's what determines what kind of person you are. Some of you, many of you have children, and they're going to grow up, and they're going to describe you at some point to their friends. They're going to describe you to their co-workers. They're going to uh, describe you to maybe somebody they go out on a date with. Odds are they're going to describe you to a therapist, uh, their future in-laws, maybe a college application essay. Uh, what words do you hope for your children to use to describe you someday? What kind of person do you want to be? And and maybe I'm wrong, but just the fact that you made the time, I don't think it was just for the food, but just the fact that you made time to be here or to listen to this talk, the fact that you are pursuing a deeper understanding of God and that impl the implications that it has on your life, it just causes me to believe that the kind of person you want to be isn't average and certainly not below average, certainly not ordinary, but that you want to be the type of person that could be described as extraordinary extraordinary, above and beyond ordinary. That, and, and, and what if you truly decided to be that? That, that you're going to be an extraordinary employee. That you're going to be an extraordinary boss. That you are going to be an extraordinary husband. That, that when your wife or your future wife talks about you to her friends when you're not around, which will happen, uh, that she just can't help herself. That she's just going to be like, you know, I just I feel like I won the lottery with my husband. I mean, he's just such an extraordinary man. He's such an extraordinary husband. And 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 men, here's what I know about you. You want that. One one of the greatest core desires of a man in his heart is to feel respected, to feel admired. It's one of the top five needs of a man. Or ladies, when your your husband or your future husband. He's talking about you. It's like my wife, oh my gosh, she's just so out of my league. Like she's such an extraordinary person. And, and, and my wife, Shauna, is the most extraordinary woman that I know. And she's not even in the room right now, so I'm not trying to butter her up, okay? I'll I, I tell you how extraordinary she is. Like our four kids are, are all grown adults because we like started when we were like 19, okay? And uh, we have no small humans in our life right now, which, by the way, is kind of glorious. I, I, love, I love your humans, but I get to send them back to you, okay? Uh, but how extraordinary she is. she is. So she's in the next room right now with some of your children, with the next generation of men and women in kids' life because she wants to make sure that your children know that they're not just loved by you, that they're loved by a community and that 
they are loved immeasurably by God. And to imprint on them and to make a difference while also providing you parents a much-needed opportunity to just be with other grown adults, to be, able to, to be able to have that time with other adults and be able to focus. And, and many of you have experienced me bragging on my wife in conversation. I love to praise my wife publicly uh, when she's standing beside me because she deserves it. But I also love to talk about, about her behind her back all the time. And, uh, you know, when I, ha- I have lots of online and out-of-town meetings or trips with other leaders, and to a person, they will tell you, Chad will not shut up about his wife, okay? It's clear that he thinks that she's the most beautiful, intelligent, extraordinary woman on the planet. Ladies, what if you decided, as a woman, as a wife, as a future wife, I'm, I'm going to rise above ordinary, I'm going to rise above average, above how culture defines womanhood and defines marriage? What if each of you and myself decided we're going to do whatever it takes and whatever role you have as a man, as a woman, as a son or a daughter, a mom or a dad, a student, an employee, a leader, you just decided that I'm going to do what I need to do to be extraordinary. And you could do that. And I could do that. What if we just did that for a week? Like not your whole life, because that's just too stressful to think about. But just, just for a week, not even starting today, like start tomorrow, you get the free pass today, but you just decided with every relational decision, every time I'm about to speak and I'm going to choose the words that come out of my mouth, every time that I'm tempted to do this or do that or to respond this way, every time you get your credit card out or you're asked to do something by a parent or by a boss or a teacher, every time you had an opportunity to leverage your influence or your authority within your family or within the workplace, if at every single juncture, what if you asked and acted on this question? What would an extraordinary person do? And, and you might think it's just silly or psychobabble, positive thinking, whatever, but let me just turn it around. What if someone close to you decided to do this? What if, you know, your son or your daughter or your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your parents, whatever, uh, they're hearing this message, okay? And, and they, you know, let's say it's one of your kids. Would you walk up to one of your kids afterwards and go, you know, at church today we talked about being extraordinary, but I didn't raise you to be extraordinary, okay? Like, like you just, be, honey, I, or honey, I, I married you. I didn't marry you because you were extraordinary, okay? So don't get, start getting all extraordinary and mess everything up, all right? Or your parents, you know, they're hearing this. You know, would you go, mom, dad, listen, just let's keep the status quo. I'm not really interested in you being extraordinary parents or your boss or a handful of employees. You find out later this week that they watched online. Would you walk up to someone who works for you go, Hey, I, I heard that you, learned, you heard the message from my church this weekend on being extraordinary. Uh, and, you know, I just want you to ignore that, all right? Just, just kind of be average or, like, close to it. That'd be okay. Or your boss watched. You know, would you walk up to your boss and go, Hey, I know you heard that talk about being extraordinary. I'm just really not interested in you being an extraordinary boss. If you could just kind of be average, you know, ordinary, that'd be okay. See, wouldn't it be amazing if everyone, if everyone who interacted with you, had just decided, you know what, everyone you worked with, everyone you worked for, everyone you lived with in the same household, what if just for a week we just decided, I want to be, I'm going to be extraordinary. What would an extraordinary person do? Now, here's where the sermon begins, and I have a clock, so don't worry. So if you're a person who takes Jesus and the teachings of Jesus seriously, at some point in your life you embrace Jesus 
as uh, your Savior, if you're a Christian, you've got to ask the question, what would an extraordinary person do? And, and here's why. Be- because if you're a Christian, then you believe in a personal God who has a personal plan for your life. You, you believe God knows your name and that He loved you so much that He said, sent His Son Jesus to die and pay for your sins and that history is actually going somewhere, that God has a relationship with you. If you're, if you're a Christian, you believe God has started something and God's going to finish something, and that history is actually going somewhere, and everything that happens is actually happening for the glory of God, you, and that you have been invited to participate. You believe that every single day matters, and that one day you are going to be held accountable, that one day that you believe that you're going to present your life before your Heavenly Father, look how I did, and you believe that you matter. You believe that your opportunities matter. And here's what else you believe. You believe that every person, every person that you're ever eyeball to eyeball with is made in the image of God for whom Jesus died and deserves to be treated as someone who's made in the image of God. They deserve for you to treat them with, in an extraordinary way. That's what you believe. So if you're a Christian, you and I don't really have an option. You and I are called to wake up every single day and throughout the day just ask this question, not how do I feel like doing, what do I feel like doing, how do I normally react or, or overact, overreact in this situation, uh, how do I normally treat my husband or, or my wife, how do I normally parent my children, how do I normally respond, how do I normally handle money. I know how I normally respond to temptation, but what would an extraordinary version of me do? What would I do if I embraced that I had been invited? I had been invited into the story of God for this moment in history with this person that I'm interacting with or this decision or this opportunity that I'm about to decide on. How would I do that? How would I handle that? Now, if you feel the tension, like I do, between what I just described and how you normally operate, that is the exact tension that we find throughout the book of Judges, because as we've said, uh, if you haven't been with us, it's an Old Testament book that records the history of the ancient nation of Israel. Moses dies. He hands them off to Joshua. He gets them into the promised land. He gets them tucked in. Then he dies. Then for 330 years, there's no king. God would rule as king, rule through the law, and the law would be uh, dispensed through a series of judges. And God created this nation uh, for a point, on purpose. The whole point of Israel was that Israel was supposed to be different, so extraordinary that they would stand out because God was going to bless this nation so much that the surrounding nations would look at them and go, dude, who's your God? Like, we want your God. Your God could beat up our God any day of the week. Your crops are growing. Ours are dying. You keep winning. We keep losing. Your newborns seem to live. You seem to have less disease and less illness in your life. And economically, it's crazy. It just seems like no matter what, you thrive. You guys are so blessed. What's up? And then the nation was to go, our God, it's, his, it's because of him. He's the one we follow. He's the one we obey. He is the one true living God. So the nation of Israel was to be, like in Bible terms, a light to the Gentile nations, those outside the nation of Israel, so that everyone else looking in would go, wow, I want you, what you've got. Tell us about, tell us about your God. But when they got into the promised land and became a nation with no more slavery, no more battles, they had everything that they needed, they got a little bored. And they did exactly what you and I do. Instead of looking up, they started looking around. 
And they went, oh, I saw this on Instagram. I want some of that. I want to be able to do some of that. The nation of Israel said, we, we, we see what they're doing, and we're seeing the highlight reels, and we think we like that. We want some of that. In fact, God, we've come to the conclusion that you're holding out on us, that you're not trying to give us good things. You're trying to keep us from good things. So they started building idols and worshiping the Canaanite and pagan gods and just decided, every, and, and then every time they would disobey God, then God would discipline them. In the book of Judges, they go through cycle after cycle of disobedience, disaster, deliverance. Disobedience, disaster, deliverance. They disobey God, and God would say, okay, I, I, because I'm a good dad, I've got, I've got to punish you. And they would face disaster, and they'd get tired of the disaster, and they'd go, oh God, please, 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 please forgive us. God would say, okay, but have you learned our lesson? Oh, we have learned our lesson. We will never, ever, ever do this again. And then God would bless them, and before long, they would forget, they would disobey again, and just like us, there would be disaster and deliverance, and this would happen again and again and again through the book of Judges. Throughout the, the, these three centuries, God would raise up these judges, leaders, to, to deliver the people. We looked last week at one of the judges, Samson. Samson was not a great judge, not a great ending, but a lot of great takeaways. Gideon, Gideon was actually a good judge. We're going to talk about Gideon today. I want to tell you just a bit of his story because I really want you to go back to the book of Judges. I'd want you to read the story on your own. In fact, if you're a person that would say, I'm, I'm not really a Bible reader, this would be a great place to start. To just go and read the story of Gideon. It's a great place to start. And, and here's why the story of Gideon is so important. Because Gideon, like some of us, believed in God, but he saw himself as an ordinary person with an ordinary life because he had embraced a view of himself that had been defined by the world and the culture around him, not God. And God shows up, and he kind of shakes Gideon like, hey, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? How, 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 do, you, how have you become so ordinary? How have you forgotten the destiny for you that you're a part of? Wake up. I want you to start acting like a man, acting like a person who believes that he can do extraordinary things, not because of positive mental thinking, because the God of creation rests on you, is with you, and your people. And so I'm going to read you a little bit of context, and then we'll jump in. This is Judges chapter 6. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now the Midianites were distant, distant cousins of the Israelites, and they had a feud going on for many, many years. And at this particular time in history, the Midianites had the upper hand, and it continues. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, in caves, in strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys." They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them and their camels, which I always just think is funny. I don't know why. Uh, they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished, the Israelites, that they cried out to the Lord for help. So Israel had started worshiping the, Midian, uh, the same God as the Midianites, Midianites, and we talked about this. You copy something, and then you're captured by it. They disregarded God. 
And so for seven years, God let some of the Midianites just kind of trample all over them. And Israel finally gets to the breaking point. They throw away their Midianite pagan gods after seven years of famine and being impoverished and having everything taken from them. And the nation uh, does what we do, what we did maybe in high school or maybe in college. Now you have to call the very person whose rules you broke to come bail you out because you broke the rule that they set. So, Dad, I did exactly what you told me not to do, and what, exactly what you said would happen is exactly what happened, so I need you to come down and help me out of what you said would happen. So they had to call God, whose rule they disobeyed. So the whole nation's on the phone with God. I promise, if you'll come down, if you'll bail us out, I, we will never do this again. We are really in trouble. We'll never do this again, we promise. So what's astounding is that when the nation rebelled against God, and then later returned and turned back to God, guess what God did? God would turn back towards them. Because above all things, God is a God of mercy. And in fact, this is what God does with all of us, because again, God is a God of mercy. And He's so merciful that He does not shield us from the consequences of our dumb decisions. He allows us many times to face the full-on consequences of our dumb decisions in hopes that we will not repeat those same dumb decisions. But God will forgive us, and He'll invade our hearts, and He'll restore us to Him. And this is what God does. And you might say, well, how many times? Like, how many rounds do I, I get with God? And, and on this side of the cross, what we learn through Jesus and His followers is as many times as you need. Because God, above all things, is a God of mercy. But He loves you too much to not let you and I sometimes face the full-on effect of the consequences of our bad decisions to grow us and to mature us. So the nation's like, we've had enough. We repent. Please help. And that's when we meet Gideon, and here's how his story begins. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. See, threshing wheat was something you were supposed to do above ground, out where there's wind, because you'd throw up the wheat in the air, the wheat would fall back, the chaff would blow away. But uh, things were so bad, Gideon's, he's in a wine press, so he's either down in a hole or it's inside of a barn where he can't be seen because he's scared to death of the Midianites. And he's afraid they'll see somebody threshing wheat and then they're going to come in and steal it. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said something completely unexpected. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's like, what? I'm in hiding. What are you talking about, mighty warrior? This, I mean, this has got to be a joke. See, and this is important. Because for some of you, this is where you are. You've either never realized or you've lost sight of who you really are. You lost sight of who you are in God's eyes, what God wants to do in your life, what God wants to do through your life. You've forgotten about the God of your childhood, or maybe you've forgotten those last nights of youth camp uh, when you rededicated. You've forgotten all the answered prayers. Maybe you've forgotten all the ways, because maybe some things are struggling or bad right now, of all the ways that God has blessed you through your life. Or maybe you moved from another town or another city, and you kind of left God back in your hometown behind where you moved from, and there's this battle going on in your heart, and God shows up. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He's like, do you know where I was last night? 
where I was last week? Have you not been paying attention to my life? Do you know how long it's been since I prayed? Do you know how many few times I went to church this year? Do you, do you know how long it has been since I opened a Bible? Do you know how far away I've drifted? So Gideon says what we think. And I love this. He's so polite through this whole thing. Pardon me. Pardon me, Lord. Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, then why? Why has all this happened to us? Now, this is a great question. Because in one form or another, you have asked this question. We all have. It's like, God, if you're good, then why the bad? God, if you're for me, then why? Why is the world against me? Why do I still not have a job? Why am I still stuck in a job that I hate? Why am I still single? Why am I single again? Why can't we have kids? Why was my child born with this challenge? Why is my marriage less than happy? Why do I seem to fail over and over again as a parent? Why have you let my adult children go the opposite direction of the way I raised them? Why? Why, if you're good, is there the bad? If you're for me and you're with me, then why the bad? And if you've ever asked this question, and we all have, or a version of this question, you should be encouraged because Gideon asked this question 3,300 years ago, and it's been documented for us for all this time. And we discover that God is not offended by this question. In fact, as we'll see, this is a question that often leads us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Where are all His wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Come on, scary angel. My whole life I've been hearing like a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, God chose Abraham and Abraham's going to be a great nation. And then we were in Egypt and we became a nation. And then God delivered the nation from Egypt. But why isn't He delivering us now? Why doesn't God deliver us from the Midianites and do for me and do for us what He did for them. The Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midianites. I'm not a mighty warrior, and God is not a mighty God. I'm not sure I believe in those fables anymore, but the Lord turned to him and said, go, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. And so again, okay, scary angel, did you not hear anything? I said, I'm not a warrior, and God has abandoned us. Go and deliver a nation. It's not possible. Why are you bothering me? Why are you interrupting my work? And God says, am I not sending you? Now, this is where the background music should change, and Gideon like looks into the eyes of this ancient being and it finally clicks for him the moment something changes inside of him and the music begins to swell and Gideon throws down his stuff and gets all tall and bold and defiant and walks out and something unbelievable happens. But the problem is, this is history, not a fairy tale. Here's his big climactic response. Pardon me, my Lord. Again, polite. How, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. If you remember, Israel split it up into 12 tribes. And of all the 12, he's saying, we're the weakest of all the tribes, and I'm like the lowest in my family. Translation, hey, I went to junior college, and I still didn't do all that well. 
okay? I don't know anybody. Nobody's ever handed me a microphone. I, I've never been on a stage. I don't have any money. I, I don't have any promise. I, I don't even have a girlfriend, okay? I, I, I haven't figured out Twitter or Snapchat or TikTok. I've still got Facebook. I've got like four friends, and they're only people I ask so that I can practice, okay? I'm nobody, and you're mocking me, mighty warrior. And I'm supposed to go out and save my entire nation? Then the Lord answered and said, you're right, never mind. I guess I got the wrong wine press. That is not what he says. Okay, the next part is so powerful. Okay, and as a Jesus follower, as a pastor, and, and some of you would consider me your pastor. I just look in the mirror, I just see Chad. In fact, I always look at all of you as better than me. But if, as your pastor, you have no idea how often I think and I pray a version of God, if for just 30 seconds, if for just 30 seconds, you would open our eyes that we would see us the way you see us. Just how differently our lives could be. Gideon, do you feel like a warrior? No. Well, you are. No, I'm not. You are. I'm not. You are. Gideon, who are you going to believe? Your estimation of you or God's estimation of you? See, you view you based on what everyone else around you has told you. About you. For, for many of you, that's how you view yourself. Uh, when you're alone in your thoughts, uh, re reflecting on you and how you view you, so, so much of that has been shaped and defined by the people and the interactions with others in your life and the culture. And for some of you, and for some of you, a version of God, you believe in a God that He may love you, but He doesn't really like you, spends most of the time disappointed in you. And, and, and a lot of how you view you is negative, filled with so much self-doubt, filled with so much insecurity. And as men, I can speak about men, we just work so hard to appear strong and have it all together, and we've just got the world by the horns, and yet deep down we battle so much self-doubt and insecurity. And, and women, because of the messages of the culture that you live in and of others, you look in the mirror you're alone in your thoughts, and you're just filled with so much self-doubt and insecurity. What if culture is wrong? What if the voices in your head are wrong? The voices in your life. What if God, who created you, knows better? What if God, who knows you better than you know yourself and loves you, knows better? What if God sees you differently? What if you've just been living a life, going, living life, going along with what you think everyone else is doing and saying, and this is how you live life, and this, you know, everybody dates this way, everybody does marriage this way, everybody does money and debt this way, spends money this way, uh, they all dream the same small dreams, these temporary dreams. God, if you could and would for just 30 seconds, open our eyes to allow us to see us as you see us. I think it would just change everything.
Because whenever I hear the story of a life change in someone's life, I always hear about a moment or a period of time when it's like their eyes came open and it finally hit them that there is a personal God who knows my name. There is a personal creator, God, who loves me. Not just loves the world in general, loves me, loves you personally. He didn't just send Jesus to die for the sins of the world. He sent Jesus because he loved you to die for your sins to make peace. That God has a plan for me and my time and my life and my relationships and my work and my expressions of intimacy. He's interested in all of that? Yes. There's a verse in the New Testament that basically says that in the end that we will see ourselves as we really are. That we're going to see ourselves the way that God sees us. St. Augustine said that that's why there won't be any sin in heaven. It won't be that we can't sin. It will be that we see so clearly that we will choose freely to not sin. That's how powerful this aha moment is, this moment that Gideon's having with this angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is going, come on, come on, Gideon. If you could just see you the way I see you as I come and represent God, if you would just If you would see yourself that way, you would step out from hiding and you would do something significant in the world. And behind all of Gideon's objections was a question, a couple of questions really. And it's a question that we all deal with. And I can definitely, again, I can speak on behalf of men. Because all of us men live with a chronic question that haunts us from a a very young age. And the question is this, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes as a man? When the the chips are down, when the opportunity arises, do I, will I have what it takes? When it's nothing but a story that is told, will it be a story of me proving that I did in fact have what it takes? And then from the point of faith, the question is, in the realm of faith, is God really with me? And is God really for me? That's the question behind Gideon's objections. So the Lord answered, his uns- to his, answered his unspoken question, I will be with you. And you will, because you have what it takes, because I'm with you. You will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. The question is, Mom. The question is, Dad. The question is, college student or high school student. The question is, fraternity brother or business owner or leader, employer, or supervisor, husband, wife. The question is, do I have what it takes And God, are you with me? Will you be with me? And the answer is yes. You have what it takes because I made you. I created you. I love you. And because I am with you and I am for you. In fact, Gideon, I've been with the nation all these 310 years at this point of this saga, of this incredible ingratitude and blindness. I've been with you the whole time, Gideon. I'm willing to do something extraordinary in you and through you. But here's what the question really is. Are you with me? And this is why this series is so important. Because as we've said, God gives us complete freedom. God has given you the freedom and I have the freedom to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. And you're totally free. You're totally free to live the rest of your life as what is right in your own eyes. But in the end, the result will be that you'll be just like everyone else. 
But maybe most importantly, you will miss the opportunity to be the extraordinary you that God created you to be. And here's the defining moment in Gideon's life. Gideon, okay, I'm not going to give you some special gift. I am not going to give you a one-on, 101 class on how to deliver a nation. I'm just asking you to believe that I am with you and that I am for you. And Gideon, this is, this is huge. Would you simply live like a man who is confident that God is with you and for you? That's all I'm asking. And I'm just telling you, that is all that God is asking of you and me. He's asking you to believe that He is with you, that He is for you, and to simply live your life and make every single, single decision as a man, as a woman, who believes God is with you, in you, and for you. And here's why this is so relevant for you. 1,300 years later, another Jewish man, uh, he would write a letter to Christians in Rome. It was dangerous to be a Christian in Rome. Uh, the Romans, uh, Roman authorities hated the Christians because they believed they worshipped Jesus instead of Caesar, and to a group of persecuted Christians in Rome and to the churches, and he writes to all of us. He says to those of you who have decided to follow Jesus and to submit your lives to Jesus, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. But it's the same thing God said to Gideon. Gideon, I I know you don't think of yourself as a warrior. I know you don't see yourself, that things aren't going well for you. I know that you're in hiding, and the last thing that you're thinking is mighty warrior, but I'm telling you, I see you differently. And so 1,300 years later, Paul's writing to these Christians. He's like, they're not going to believe. They're just not going to believe that God is with them, because when I say this, or they read this, they're going to look around at their circumstances and go, God has abandoned us. He thinks they're not going to believe that Just like Gideon, they're going to look at their circumstances. They've got an identity crisis because they see themselves through the lens of their situation and their insecurities. So Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Paul says, do you know how you can wake up every single day and know that God is for you and with you? It's not by looking at your culture. It's not by looking at your job or your lack of job or your circumstances. You can wake up every day with confidence that God knows your name, loves you, and is for you and with you because 2,000 years ago, he allowed his son to pay the price for your sin. And Finance 101 teaches the value of a thing is the price it will bring. So if you want to know, if you want to know how valuable something is, price it put it online and just keep bringing the price down until someone buys it, then you know how valuable it is. And the Apostle Paul says, you are so valuable to God as an individual person that God, because the image of God is on you and in you, God has breathed life into you. You are so valuable to God that he equated your life with the life of his son. So he says, now wake up. And live and engage every day and every person knowing that you have that kind of value. Now, I know I was hard on you last week, especially the men, uh, but also ladies, because I'm doing everything that I can to help us, and me included, to help us learn from others that came before us. As we learn from the book of Judges, as we look throughout Scripture, obviously through Jesus, to realize that God has called us to something greater 
to ask how does an extraordinary man and an extraordinary woman ex- express relational intimacy, express love and friendship when they know that God has called them and loves them, loves them so much he allowed his son to die in their place so that they might have life eternal. Mighty warrior, I've got something for you. And the story of Gideon ends like this. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. The story of Gideon ends like, like this. And again, I'm, I really want you to, to, to read it on your own. But basically, he takes a baby step. He sneaks out into the cover of night one night, and he goes out, and like in the cover of darkness, he burns down like one idol and comes back like, ha! How's that for somebody who knows God's with them, you know? And so, but it was a starting point. It was a baby step. And that led to greater and greater things as God continued to demonstrate he would be faithful, that he was, in fact, with him, which gave Gideon even more confidence to do bigger and better things. See, while it's dangerous for you and I to think more highly of ourselves than we should, it might be equally dangerous to think less of ourselves than God does. This isn't a message about trying to be good. This, isn't, this is a message from Gideon, from what the Apostle Paul writes 1,300 years later. This is about you reaching your full potential as a man, your full potential as a woman, in all of your roles, in all of your relationships, just in your daily life. What would an extraordinary person do? What would an extraordinary you do? And it's up to you. Last week we looked at Samson. Samson threw it all away. Incredible potential. What he could have accomplished. But he decided he wanted to reject God's plan and just follow his own desires for his own life. Gideon, however, stepped into it. And as a result, God did extraordinary things. Things that he could never imagined or dreamed of. And I'm telling you what God will do in and through you. How he will impact every relationship your marriage, your future marriage, your parenting, your finances, your mental, physical, and spiritual health. Your well-being, it can't be quantified. So my prayer coming into today has been, oh God, would you do what no communicator, what no sermon could possibly do? Would you just for a moment open our eyes to cause us to see us as you see us? And that that would be the filter that we would, through which we would filter every thought, every word, every action, and that we, by God's grace, that we would be extraordinary students, extraordinary employees, extraordinary bosses and spouses and parents. And it takes practice. It takes practice because there's going to be times we lose sight of it, we fail, we fall short, but in that moment, we realize it, we re-engage, and over time, you will become the extraordinary you that your Heavenly Father created and called you to be. Let me pray for us. Father, this is easy to say, but not so easy to do. Because we can be so overwhelmed by the circumstances around us and how we view ourselves. And God, uh, we just live in a culture that just lies to us so much about what our worth is and what it's based on. So Father, I just I, I pray for all of us and everyone listening to my voice that God, however the Holy Spirit helps us, whatever that looks like, that you would do that part that we can never do on our own. We can't talk ourselves into something and even close relationships can't fix everything. But God, that you can give us a change of mind. You can, what Paul says, transform our mind. And I pray that for all of us.
for the baggage that we carry, for the message that we've gotten from childhood and our past, for those who have experienced abuse or assault or other things that somehow have made them feel unworthy or dirty or less than, that God, that you would cause them and cause us all to see us as you see us, which is so hard to believe and get our minds around, but God, that you would do what we can't do on our own and that you would help us with that so that that would then inform our decisions and help us to experience all that you have for us. So I pray that for all of us, Father. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.